welcome everyone to Coiscast 11. It's been a month, I think, since the last Coiscast. And we're joined today by Jake S. Hello. Executive. Good evening. And of course, the great AC. Hello. So, um, most of today's Coiscast will be made up of, from questions sent in by Coisers. And firstly, thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Um, if yours isn't asked today, please don't um, take it as a, a sign of offence. It's just that there really were a large number of questions. But before we dive into those, um, just a quick chat about some of the games that we've played recently. And I'm, I'm only going to batch them together because, selfishly, it's how I felt about them. But the United and the Stoke games, I just enjoyed them so much. It, it was such a pleasure to watch how we played, not for every moment, but for large portions of those games. Your thoughts? I'll go then, shall I? Yep. So, starting with United, I think first and foremost, beating them at home for the first time in 15 years is another one of those monkeys that we've got off our backs. Um, I think it's only Chelsea away now that we've still got to... uh, got to rid ourselves from in, in recent memory. Uh, we started slowly against United. I thought the first 25 minutes are very, very impressive with their movement. But as soon as the second half kicked off, uh, their right back going off injured was a, fundamentally a really big help for us. And then we scored three goals in 10 minutes. Fantastic atmosphere, blew United away. And it was nice actually to, to rub some salt into, into the wound, which we've not been able to do very often. Um, so that's my thoughts on United. Yeah, I don't remember that. It was a fun game to watch. I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed recently, and I know there's been discussion about it on the board, about what we should do in the absence of Ali, which I'm sure we'll come on to, and there's been talk about moving Ericsson inside, but some of the work he's done out on that sort of leftish side of those front three has been nothing short of stunning. The, the, the passes he's provided have been quite beautiful for a couple of our goals. I was really pleased to see him doing so well. Uh, should, I'd also like to point out that I think that Fonsi Mensa kid is amazing. Um, and also, I'm slightly disappointed because as soon as we played him, I put him in my fancy league team and Van Gaal didn't pick him for the next two matches. But that's fine. But yeah, we were really good. Um, we looked solid as usual. Um, I think it was a performance that was really quite rewarding. It was, after, as Exec pointed out, after it being so long since we beat them, to do, do it quite so emphatically this time round was really something to see. And also a reflection of how well this team has developed. Yeah. Echo. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, both games are pretty impressive, performance-wise. Could have scored loads. Defensively, extraordinarily solid. And did you feel in any at any time in either of those games that it, that we were going to lose? That somehow, even if we conceded, that we wouldn't come back? No, not at all. I think it was even more evident in the Stoke game. The Stoke game was a proper bullying. I thought. I mean, they, we didn't give we didn't give them an opportunity. I, I know there's the thing about Stoke having also now shipped four goals in the game before and after our match, but it was emphatic. And I think the plaudits that we got after that game were entirely deserved. Stoke away is in my top ten away games ever this season. Everything from the first minute to the last minute, the performance, the application, the atmosphere from the away fans, everything was just remarkable. It was just one of those performances that... Leicester laid down the marker the, the, the night before and everyone was going to see how we were going to react. Um, and as Kane alluded to with the picture that he tweeted or whatever it, it was that he did, but the players were so up for it, the fans were so up for it, and it was just a performance and, a, and an evening to be incredibly proud of. So what were the, did he, was it true that the Stoke fans clapped Ali off when he left the, uh, the pitch? A few did, yeah, a few did. It wasn't like a, a standing, rapturous ovation. Um, but it was, it was quite evident that a few, uh, a few definitely applauded him. But to be fair, I've, I've done that a couple of times, most notably probably with Aguero when he's uh, put four or five against us in the last couple of seasons. So I think it's, it, it's, it's a nice touch from, uh, from people that appreciate football. The one time that um, I can remember doing it was ages ago when we were playing Bolt and JJ Okocha just, just took us apart and he flicked the ball into the ground to, to take it over a sliding tackle. Not, sort of skinned another of our defenders and then rasped it onto the crossbar from just outside the penalty area. And I couldn't help myself. I got up and applauded. And my comrades in the Paxton Lower at the time didn't really take too kindly to that. So, on to the last game. Um, and put my cards on the table here. Um, I think next year will be the 50th anniversary of my first trip to White Hart Lane. And so one might think there would be fans like me who would be most disappointed at the, um, if not end, but then at least um, our title challenges on life support. 
but in truth, I, I never got overly, um, my expectations were never set in stone for the title. I honestly believe it's been an amazing season. I've really enjoyed the football. We've claimed some notable scouts. We've played excellent football, both defensively and in attack. And for me, it's just been a great season. I've been genuinely enjoyed it. And as much as I hoped for a title, I never expected it. And so therefore, maybe the pain that some fans feel and that I don't is because of that. Um, I didn't sort of buy into it. But if, if one wants a sense of of how well we've done and how strange the league is this year, I think you can look at the fact that if we weren't around, if we weren't involved, if we, let's say, in our usual position, sitting in the 54 to 56-point range, Southampton, West Ham, Liverpool range, um, Leicester would be 12 points clear. 12 points clear of Man City and Arsenal, you know, with three games left. That's crazy. That really is. It just shows what an unusual year it's been. And that's not something that's really in our control. Um, so having said that, what are your thoughts on the West Brom game in particular? Um, I'll, I'll duck in first here. I, I think I, I echo your sentiments to a large extent. I've never felt we were in a title race because we've never been top. We've never got closer than, than five points. All we've done is maintained a gap to the runaway leaders. Um, West Brom seem to be indicative to me as well of there are some teams who don't play bold, expansive attacking football and who will be quite happy to put 111 men behind the ball and let us work it out. Where sometimes I think we do need to box a little bit more clever and maybe look at a way to not shut up shop per se, but we don't need to be quite so gung-ho when we're 1-0 up against a team where most teams will struggle. I mean, it's it's... It's not a coincidence that Leicester also drew against West Brom as well. I mean, they are a side that set out to irritate and block a team and and hope to get something else, to maybe get a point, as they did on Monday, as a result of that. I, I can't feel that disheartened. I think, and I'm sure we'll come on to this probably a bit more later on as well, I found one of the threads, which I'm glad people have enjoyed, don't get me wrong, but the key games to winning the title thread are... It's been interesting to see the calculations and what, what people are doing, but there's always been that part of me that thinks if you're focusing so much on the next four or five matches, you're kind of missing how great we've been sometimes. And I don't know, I've really, I've really enjoyed this season so far. It's been a lot of fun to go to games and not worry that we're going to take a beating. The only time I felt really uncomfortable was because it was at home to Woolwich. And I always feel uncomfortable if we're at home to Woolwich. It doesn't matter if they were so ravaged with injuries that Jack Wilshire was their only midfielder available. I'd still get nervous about it. So this season is really enjoyable. I think drawing with West Brom, I don't feel quite so embittered. It, was, it wasn't our best performance, but we're not going to play brilliantly sparkling football all the time. It was a weird game because first half we were brilliant. Yeah. And, so, and then second half, they got better and we got worse. Because so Mickey Hazard. Yeah, absolutely. I know it was a brilliant half-time interview. Um, and he really sort of got the crowd going. Um, and the second half, it was it's just a weird one. I, I, we're going to come on to the squad, I'm sure, a bit later on. But for me, it was... Um, it was, it, was, it was fairly comparable to... There's three home performances this season that stick in mind. That's Newcastle, Arsenal and then West Brom. And I think in all of those games, there were sort of warning signs 15 minutes before we conceded that we were going to concede. Um, and in each of those games, we didn't really do anything to change it. But I guess I, I don't really know what Pochettino can do because we're playing the, the strongest first eleven, And there's nothing on the bench that you think, I'm going to do that to change this game. But I think the warning signs were there. But in terms of the second half, I don't know if it was nerves, complacency, tiredness, but we just weren't at the races. I don't know if this was if it was like this at the game, but at the start of the second half, the crowd sounded dead. Like that, uh, there was about a ten-minute period where the crowd sounded dead to uh, like on the TV, and I feel like that was a pretty pivotal time. There, you could almost hear a patch of the ground trying to get the crowd going, like starting songs off, but this, the crowd just weren't up for it. Like I, didn't, just... I, I, th I thought the first 10 minutes of the second half we started okay I mean uh, Lamella hit the post uh, six inches the other side and that, that's 2-0 and game over so it's more like the last half an hour I didn't necessarily feel the, the crowd getting flat and I thought after West Brom scored everyone was on their feet trying to trying to get the players going oh, again yeah. and get behind them so I mean, it's not something I, I sense personally 
No, I go along with that. I thought it was also strange. I mean, again, a sign of how desperate we were towards the end to try and get that impact that we we switched the play to a bit more direct from the back, and that's never really suited us because it's not like I mean, Kane's good in the air, obviously, but the the runners often don't necessarily always pick up how he's going to win the header. And I think that, again, this will come up probably in the some of the discussion about the squad later on, as Exec pointed out, but there is a need for a couple of changes within the within our midfield options. Again, I thought when Dyer went off and we had to bring Ryan Mason on, and that may well be because Bentaleb's injured and hasn't had the best season when he's been fit to play a few games. The dynamic of that midfield changed quite dramatically for me. But, but, but the option would have been to drop Ericsson deeper and put him in central midfield with Dan Bailey, who could have sat further, who could have sat deeper and then brought on Chadley or Son at Moose that point instead deep. of Mason. I thought Musa was really good on Monday. He's incredible. But he has been every game. I get bored of saying how good he is. It's such a wonderful turnaround. We've got a few players where it's lovely to see how they've reacted to having a new coach with new ideas to to help them along. Because Rose has improved greatly. Dembele's probably the success story aside from Kane under under Poch's watch. And the fullbacks, yeah. Yeah. And, and could, could one add into that... Um, and it's not just about Potch's influence, but as much or more so for me about Toby's influence, that Vertonghen was out for so long, Vimmer played very well in his absence, and Vertonghen stepped in and, and been flawless in these games. I've always had this feeling, and I know lots of people don't agree with me on this. I thought Vimmer came in and did a really good job. Yeah. But I still think he's positionally suspect. And I just think that's inexperience. He's, it's a bit like how I, I wouldn't feel comfortable playing Dyer at the centre-back, even though I think he's a very good player. He's got mistakes to his game that I don't think Vertonghen does have. No, I'd go along with that. I thought it was going to be much more of a, a siren song about how amazing Alderweireld is. That's normally where you start off with these kind of analysis, isn't it, Hasty? Mm. <laughs> I, do, I do love Toby. <laughs> But, but, but Toby, Toby's got the Ledley effect, isn't he? So yeah. if you put if you put Dawson or Kabul or Poisson alongside King, they look like very good centre halves. If you put them alongside one another and Ledley's not there, they look distinctly average, if not less. Uh, now I'm not comparing the Tongan or Wimmer to Kabul or Poisson, but you, you, you question if Toby's not alongside them. How? Because I mean, everyone's questioned the Tongan defensively before Toby joined the club. So he's, he obviously brings out the best in, in the, the, the players he's uh, playing alongside. So I mean, he's become our most important outfield player, I think. There would be but, quite an interesting thing to see how he got on if he had either Fazio or Kirikis. <laughs> well, th- thankfully, we'll never know. <laughs> hey, well, you say that Fazio's only on loan, isn't he? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so let's have a, a delve into the. Coy's mailbag. And first question out comes from DC Spur. I'll give this to you, Jake, which is um, can you give an insight into what Paul Mitchell has done for the club so far? <laughs> Good luck, man. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, I, this, this has been mentioned before and I think this ties in quite beautifully with how the the velvet rope is done within our club, how you can't look beyond the curtain and see what's going on. I think the interesting thing about Paul Mitchell, and uh, apart from, of course, his wonderful hair products, which I believe was commented on last time he had a podcast, improving the hairstyle of all the team involved, um, I think it's really difficult. I think the fact that we only have this sort of nebulous concept of how players are tracked, de- decided on as being key to us, and then moving from shortlist to actual people we're going to buy will never, ever come out. It's one of Levy's greatest tricks because there's never any kind of finger pointing apart from the fact that if something goes wrong and the manager is ushered out of a side door, that normally seems to be that's where it is. AVB seemed to have bought, spent really badly when we sold Gareth Bale. I mean, it doesn't look the case now. It just looks like he couldn't coach them properly. But to answer the serious question about Mitchell's black box, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't understand what a black box is. It doesn't seem to be 
anything other than the same thing that we've been trying to do before. There's lots of talk about us improving the scouting around the, not just around the country, but around the world. We seem to be getting more people in place, is my understanding. There's nothing tangible that you could put your finger on, is there? No, I mean, if if you look at what he did at Southampton, it was you know you can see videos about what he did in terms of you know getting lots of video content on players and having a team that watch it all and then you know basically make this sort of you know football manager style directory of players. Um, but I almost feel like the thing that's changed majorly, and this probably hasn't got. A, I don't know if this has got a huge amount to do with Paul Mitchell. I have no idea, but the character of the players we're getting in seems to have changed. It seems yeah. like the, the types of mentality that we've got coming into the club now in recent players seems to be a lot better. And the squad seems to be merging a lot easier. I think, I think if you come into a squad where everyone's giving 100% every day in training, it's very difficult not to, not to follow suit. And I think the, the, the key thing that Pochettino has done, as well as obviously the wonderful football we're privy to every week it's the mentality of the club and players actually believing that they they're going to go out and win games and they actually go, can go out and compete at the highest level and i think that's the that's fundamentally the biggest thing that he's impacted and that we should be most proud of that ties into a question sent in by dirty bob which was how do we improve the first 11 uh, without disrupting the relationships uh, the, the tightly bonded relationships that currently appear uh, to be in and around the first team squad. Um, it seems that the closeness of the team is a key factor in our performance this season. I think it's recognising the have, fact... We have to improve the first 11. Yeah, but it's not just the first 11 though, is it? It's, it's recognising that there are some points in a game or points for specific matches where having another option would be really useful. If we had another striker, so we could play two up top, for example... Not just maybe not for an entire game, but maybe for half of a match or so on and so forth. Being able to be able to pick and choose. I think it's the understanding that this team, this squad that we have, want to win things. So the idea that they'd be somehow against other players coming in with that similar mindset has just been discussed. I I think I find that quite an alien concept. If If everyone's buying into the project, then everyone is buying into the fact that there is going to be a need for some more players coming in. Um, I think that the answer to the question um, is somewhat related to the previous question, in that if our scouting is up to scratch and that we do consider character, if you want to call it that, um, and attitude in the players that we purchase, that should mitigate that risk. So I'm going to move on to two very related questions. The first one from Hedgehog, which is, it's clear we need at least one out-and-out striker. It's also clear that Harry Kane would play every game possible, making it difficult to get someone of the required talent in. How best would Posh sell that vacant striker position to any potential suitors? And then THFC78 asked, what type of forward do you think the club will hopefully try to sign in the summer? Someone who's completely different to Kane and could also play with him, or a player as close to his attributes as possible to replace when Kane is rested or injured? So I guess two parts to that. Um, executive, do you want to give us your thoughts on the the type of um, striker that we should be looking at and how we can sell that role to that player? Well, the answer to the question is I think we need one of each. I think if we're going to be fighting on four fronts in four competitions, we need three quality strikers. If you think that we've, we got through the group stages and the early rounds of the Europa League by mixing up the squad and still maintaining our league form, you can't mix up the squad in the league or the Champions League and expect to get the same level of results. So we need to have players that can actually come in and make a difference from day one. Fundamentally, you need people that are going to be able to embrace the the challenge and be up for the fight. If we can get an established older head that perhaps is um, slightly longer in the tooth, it's got that level of experience, it can have an impact, that'd be great. And then if you can get a younger, up-and-coming adaptable player in, in the in the mould of a Berahino type who can play either up front or just behind the front uh, along along the forward three. I think that would be a good option. But I think to compete a, across four fronts, you need three quality strikers. And I think we've got enough going for us in terms of the, the positivity around the club, the new stadium on the horizon. If people want to embrace the challenge, I feel we've got enough there to... to there's enough hook there to acquire the, the right can uh, the right caliber of, of strikers 
I've undenied about this as well in terms of how is it a, a positive sell? How do you get people in? But I think there's an element of truth to players will always rate themselves, if you see what I mean. They always have to have that confidence. I don't necessarily believe, taking, for example, when Scott Parker went to Chelsea, that he was just going along for the paycheck. I think he genuinely believed, and Wayne Bridge as well, and any other that you want to pull out, they thought they were going to be good enough to fight their way into a starting 11, regular starting 11 slot in that Chelsea side. And I think being able to harness that, a player with sufficient self-belief and recognising the fact that with a bit of luck, and a, well, with three more points, we're going to be in the Champions League next season in the group stages, I think we're quite an attractive draw. All the other things that Exec touched on, the fact that we do have this shiny new stadium on the horizon and the NFL as well. But no, there are lots of positives at the moment. So I think we are in a particularly good position to be able to attract people. There's also the cult of the manager. I think quite a few players would be quite happy to turn up and give their all for the manager. But I think that also kind of contradicts the, the, the thing about getting an older head in because that doesn't seem to be the type of player that Poch necessarily goes out to buy. One thing before I pass on is I am slightly concerned about um, the track record of Poch and buying slightly more experienced, expensive players, because the only one I can think of is Danny Osvaldo in terms of the strikers he actually bought when he was at Southampton, and we all know how well that ended up. Yeah, but I mean, he, he had worked with him before. I think he knew what he was getting. I just don't think he probably worked too well for the Premier League and the squad. That's a well well segued into um, an interesting question from Negative Creep, which is what should our transfer policy be this summer? Young and promising or established pros? I think a mix. Yeah, my answer is yes. I'd, I'd, yeah. <laughs> um, I quite like the rumour of uh, Mandzukic. I think... He's a hard-working striker. He's, you know, a bit might offer us something different. But I'd also quite like the rumours of Batshuayi and Lacazette. I mean, I'm pretty happy with whatever Poch chooses, really, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, other than my desire to have as many Dembele's as we possibly can. <laughs> Going back to the point, it's all about getting getting the right characters and also the right players that can make an immediate impact. We need, we need people that we can rely on that can come off the bench and actually have a say. And the challenge this season is if you look at Chadley and Son and Clinton, more unknown, but these guys need a run of games to actually, yeah. to actually get the momentum going, get the confidence up, get used to the pace of, of the level. But when are they ever going to get, when are they ever going to get a run of games when you've got an established first 11? If you look at, if you look at Townsend, Townsend is a, a, a decent player. If you give him a run of games, he's a he's a good player, as he's proven at as he's proven at Newcastle. And I think Son and Chadley would probably be of the same of the same ilk, but it's just when these guys get the opportunity to do that. The next question I'll take first, and then hand it over to the panel. Um, it says, please assess the quality of backups. Where do we need to strengthen the squad in the summer? And I was thinking about this and thinking that, unlike my expectations at the beginning of the season, I would say that. Across the back four, our backups are pretty good. They really are um, as good as I could have hoped for. I would certainly. I, th- I think our problems in, in terms of um, skills and variety of those skills, um, where we have a dearth, is further forward. That's just my thought. And maybe even goalkeeper. You know, with backup goalkeeper depends on your opinion of Vaughan. Um, so with that, I'll hand over to the panel. I think having an option that can run beyond the last man from midfield would be quite handy because we don't seem to have one of those at the moment. Um, I don't know other than that, really. Uh, some, uh, if some competition, not necessarily cover for Eric Dyer would be good. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, as we've seen with our fullbacks, having someone who can come in and play that position has spurred both of them on to Walker and Rose to be better players than they were previously. So I think having an option for that in centre mid would be good. Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff where, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm just kind of hoping that we can see the development from the youth ranks that we've kind of been mooted. I, I, I'm not sh- quite sure, and I don't know anyone can, that can really point out what's happening with Pritchard, for example. I'm not saying that necessarily he's going to be a man who can float past the two defenders and, and latch onto that last ball, but 
I think there was scope for him. I think there's youth players that could possibly come through. So that's also the delicate balance where we find ourselves at the moment. Do we continue to allow Poch to improve and develop these players? Like Anoma should be good for with a year's worth of development under his belt and some first team games. And I think going back to Exec's point as well, I think sometimes players who come in from a, another league will struggle initially or have erratic form and I think Son has definitely struggled with that once he came back from his injury his form dropped off and then he didn't really get a chance to get a run out again so I think is it a question that we may hamper some of the players we already have in our squad by buying more I completely agree with Prof's point in terms of the back four if you look at how well Wimmer did and Trippier and Davis you obviously lose something in terms of pace versus Walker and Rose but there's not a significant difference but further forward if you're missing any of them then we've got a problem. You only have to look at... I mean, I'm not the biggest Lamella fan in the world, but if you look at our performance at Anfield, we clearly missed him. And if you... Then Bailey, we, we can't seem to do without. Like we, I don't think we've lost a game he's started since the first game of the season. And Kane... We've been very, very fortunate this season with injuries in the sense that Kane, Alderweireld, Dyer, I think, have played every pretty much every game, all three of them. Um, but if you, if you take one of them out, we've got a real problem. And if you look at the bench in terms of Carroll, Mason, for me, they're, they're just not of the calibre required. And there will be two, play, two players who wouldn't be too upset about about replacing them in the summer. Yeah, I agree. Um, that was probably the nicest thing I've ever heard you say about Lamella. So. Oh, look, I, 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 I call it as I see it. And he's, he's, had, a, he's had a good season. Um, I, was, I was very much uh, anti-Danny Rose. Um, a couple of seasons ago, but for me, he's been he's been marvellous. So I'm, I'm objective as always, and I call it as I see it. I still, <laughs> I st- I'd still like to see more from him, um, but I can't fault his uh, his work rate and, and how well he's improved, especially in the last of the six months. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'd I'd personally show the door to Carroll, um, as I said before, solely because of his Dortmund game, and. Uh, Mason, I wouldn't be too upset leaving. And to be honest, I've, as I said before, if Poch wants to sell Ben to there, but I'd, I'd, you know, happily take some money for him as well. Weird one, isn't he, Ben to there? He's, he's obviously done something to piss Poch off because ability-wise, he's, he's, a, he's a, for me, he's a level ahead of Carol and Mason. And last season, I thought he, I thought he was very good at times. Yes, he, he makes sloppy mistakes, but he's, he's a good player. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I can't work it out either. And I also thought he'd be one of those ones who would buy in immediately to the the hard work and the knuckling down and the training your face off kind of stuff that Poch seems to really enjoy. But it seems to almost have got, not been the case at all, quite the opposite. Yeah. You do wonder about those rumours from last summer about you know him being on more money now than Harry Kane because you know his agent was kicking up some stuff. And you do wonder if that's had an effect on him. Possibly. And you wonder how the other players react. If you look at Kane and Dyer and Ali and Rose, like how hungry they are. They all seem so low maintenance as well. And if people are perhaps causing problems behind the scenes, maybe it sort of causes a bit of disharmony in the squad as well. So that, that could, there could be something in that. I mean, personally, I'd get in someone in midfield. I'd like someone like Kramer still. Um, you know, obviously he was being talked about when we were looking for someone. And now that we've got Dyer, but Again, I like the idea of competition and not backup. Um, yeah, and then a wing forward and a striker. If you're only going to be allowed one of those, if there was only one position you could fill, it is going to be striker we're all talking about, isn't it? It yeah. has to be. Yeah, and probably probably someone who's a bit of a hybrid, a bit of a you know someone who can play out wide if you ask them. Uh, going back to the Paul Mitchell point, it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer, and it's impossible to know what for anyone to know what exactly what he was responsible for at Southampton. But if you look at players like Tadic and Mane and, and Pella, all of them sort of slot into the Premier League and pretty much hit the ground running straight away. So if he can unearth a couple more of, of those type of players, then we should hopefully be in a, a decent position. I was just thinking, listening to the discussion about, you know, if if it was a choice of losing Mason, Carroll and Bentaleb, who are probably the next three players in midfield, or, or let's say Mason, Carroll and Chadley, um, or Wimmer, Davies and Trippier, it would be a really easy decision for most fans. Yeah. And that's absolutely. just not, not, not something that we may have expected at the beginning of the year. You know, I can't think of many, if any, points that we dropped because of our backup defenders. 
Um, and yet, it wasn't that long ago, we were playing Vertonghen at left-back, Dyer at right-back. Now that seems unthinkable. So a lot has changed in a short time. There's also a lot of unknowns, because like no one knows yet in terms of can Sun do it in this league. No one knows if Clinton's actually going to transpire and, and be a, a decent squad player. There's still a lot of unknowns that you kind of have to trust the manager's judgment in terms of in terms of what he feels is the right thing to do. Didn't yeah. in the last pod, Stortz pretty much put his cards on the table about his opinion about Clinton? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I believe he said that he will never be a player. I think yeah. were his words. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll second that. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst we're on the subject of Stortz, before I forget, his post about how well we've done this season, the improvements we've seen, which everyone seemed to absolutely love, wholeheartedly concur with it. I thought it was one of the best summaries of how things are at the moment that I've seen in quite some time. Yeah. Agreed. All right, time for the the one and only quiz question for this uh, podcast. Uh, she's just sent in one. And due to a combination of retirement, transfers and tragedy, during the four years between our, our European Cup Winners' Cup demolition of Atletico Madrid in 63 and our FA Cup final win over Chelsea in 67, THFC was almost completely rebuilt by Billy Nick, such that only one player appeared for THFC in both games. Who was it? Jimmy Greaves. <laughs> I've no idea. That's it. You got it. Did I? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. 21 different players in those two games. Only Greaves was the same, apparently. What do I win? Um, did you think that up with I've no idea? <laughs> <laughs> that was only a casual 20 years before I was born. Oh, thanks. Okay, some more, more questions for you. Um... Quite like this one. Does the panel think that Ali's impending ban is a short-term pain for a long-term gain? Yes. I don't think you'll change that much. That's, that's the I question. Think... I think is whether it really will make a difference. It has to. I mean, he's he's, he's an idiot. Like, I, I I get all this about you can't take it out of his game because you need you need that kind of animal instinct and that competitor like Gerard had. You can't go around punching people in the stomach and expecting to get away with it. I was talking to my mate about this earlier. If Balotelli had done that, or if, Bal- or if Balotelli had done some of the things that Ali had done, I mean, he'd be he'd be sort of hung out to dry, he'd be lambasted all over the press. But because Ali's like a young, talented English kid, it seems to people seem to embrace it, accept it, and that it's an okay thing to do, and it's all part of his makeup. For me, it's it's inexcusable when he's a silly little boy, and hopefully he'll learn from it. I mean, I do think he was very unfortunate that he was being recorded on an ISO cam by a American TV channel, but that needs to go from his game. And I really, truly hope that Leicester lose or draw their next two games so that Ali is missing from what could be a title winning game, because I think that will have a bigger impact on his on his character than anything. I'm just I wish I was more confident that it would make a difference. You know, I haven't seen anything yet, and he's, he's young, you know, there's plenty of time, but I haven't seen anything yet that shows me he's learnt from his previous, let's be fair, previous very close calls um, for getting himself sent off or banned, and yet things have got worse, not better. Well, as, AC, as AC said, I mean, sometimes it takes for to, to get caught and to be punished, you have to acknowledge it, but I, I personally can't see any immediate signs of him sort of Changing his changing his game, but it's something the manager's going to have to work with him, and the coaching staff going to have to work with him on. Because if it happens in a big game, and all of a sudden now, I mean, I'm not so bothered about England, but imagine him doing that in the European Championships, and all of a sudden he's going to be criticised in the same way Beckham was for his petulance in France in in '98. It could it could impact him his career long term if if he doesn't cut it out now. It could also make him more of a marked man for that kind of thing if he doesn't care a bit. Well, he's, he's prime target now. If you look at all the continental centre halls, Rob, you know, licking their lips at the prospect of winding him up in the Champions League, and they, and they imagine if he push lashes out, even if he just pushes someone next season, they'll go round rolling around, holding their face, and he'll be he'll be off. Um, yep. So it needs to be stamped out now, and the club should hope hope the club find him as well. So another interesting question for you: Which Leicester players, if any? Would you swap with the equivalent player in our first team? Easy, Mara's and Mara's and Kante for 
Tyron Lamella. Job done. Interesting. Mares and Mares, yes, definitely. And pro- yeah, and probably for Lamella. But I think that I think that's under not recognizing really the work rate and attitude that. Lamella's become far more pivotal for our side, I think, over this season. He's definitely improved. And I think his application is uh, quite significant for the rest of the team. He doesn't necessarily give the... His distribution isn't the best by by a mile. He still can't look up and play always the perfect pass. But I think that's nitpicking now. I think it's really difficult because I want, I'd want i quite happily sign Mares, But... He's done it one year. It's not like last year he was ripping the league up or anything. Since you Christmas. Know. Yeah, true. His, his form coincided with Leicester's form. And if yeah. you, look at, you look at him towards the back end of last season, he, he was doing it week in, week out. But he's, he's so he's so good. If you look at him with the ball on his feet, he's, he's always aware. He's, he always seems to have options. He's often, he seems to make the right decision more often than not. And I think that's the criticism of Lamella in, from an attacking sense. He doesn't make the right decision more often than not. Yeah. But, um, again, uh, that's not me just having a dig. But if you, but fundamentally, Mores has been voted the best player in the league this season. So for us not to have him in our side would uh, would uh, smack of arrogance. I think. I think also once um, psychopath Pearson got replaced, he got moved more centrally, didn't he? He got given a bit more license to move around. Yeah. So I, I think I probably that... yeah I probably would make the swap. I just feel wrong about doing it. <laughs> And your, and your thoughts on Kante? Kante? I like Dyer a lot. Yeah, I like Kante I, a lot. I think Dyer is um, far more influential in our side. Not just when he's his ability to read the game, but also well when he's on the ball. But his bossing around of other players around him is quite important. I admittedly don't see enough of Leicester to see if Kante does that himself. But the, the, the application that Eric Dyer puts in, into a game is quite important for us. I'll be controversial as well. How, 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 would you, how would you rate Schmeichel over Lloris? Because as shot stoppers, I think they're both exceptional. Where Schmeichel has the edges, his distribution's on another level to, to Hugo's. Oh, I think his distribution was fairly shonky when we played them at home this season. It might have been a one-off game, but Lloris's distribution is fairly shonky every week. I'm not replacing Hugo. Not, no. He's just throwing out shouting. there. He persists with shouting away every time a ball comes into our box from a corner as if defenders are going to forget what they're supposed to do when a ball comes in from a corner. And to to be fair, I think both keepers are in the right clubs. Hugo suits the way we play in terms of being a sweeper-keeper off his line and Schmeichel suits Leicester in the sense that he'll direct distribute the ball directly and quickly for Vardy to go and chase it down the pitch. So I wouldn't swap him. I was just throwing it out there. Well, that's, it's interesting, uh, you know, that, that between, between all of us, we'd keep nine or ten of our players over Leicester players. Yeah, I just think we've got much better as the season's gone on, haven't we? I like the way we play football in comparison to them as well. Mm. See, that's, I, I feel the same as you. That, that's what makes a difference for me. But if the season started, I mean, obviously it doesn't. And fair play to Leicester, they've done a remarkable job. And fully deserve to win the league, but if the season started in November, then or finished in June, I think we would win the league. And it's the early draws at the start of the season that will ultimately end up costing us, uh, costing us winning the league. Poch only started wearing the suit in October. Just yeah. pointing. <laughs> I mean, you could people look at those games like Newcastle where we drop points, but you could just as easily say the home game with Leicester was everything. It was, and we were the better side. But other than I think Kane had a, a very good chance, but we didn't we didn't create a hell of a lot. And if you look at the defeats that we've had this season, um, United, Newcastle, West Ham, after all of those defeats, we've we've bounced back exceptionally well and gone gone on long unbeaten runs. And I think sometimes we needed the defeats to give us a kick up the backside to get it going again. I think what's cost us is two points against West Brom, two points against Everton, two points against Liverpool, um, drawing at Swansea. Um, drawing home to Stoke, games like this where we we deserved more, but ultimately you can look at every team and make make the argument for City and Arsenal dropping silly points as well. But it's it's too many draws that have cost us as opposed to the defeats we've had. Yep. Okay, the next question is from uh, Mr. P. Roth. Um, 
who who notices that we've got a couple of, shall we say, uh, realists about this player, and maybe one uh, fanboy is too too tough a word, but um, acolyte to, uh, sorry, aficionado uh, on this panel, and and the question is really, it's Lamella. Um, I can't recall a player that um, inspired so much, just almost blind devotion in some fans, and and completely unreasonable negativity in others, um, since probably the great King Defoe debates of many moons ago. And my question really is, what is it about Lamella, who clearly has had a good season, and, and he's improved, and he does lots of things well, and he does some things not very well, and he does other things mediocre, which he really could and should improve on. But what is it about him that, that more than any other player, leads to fans either being unreasonably negative or frankly blindly positive price tag is that it yeah if we got it for eight million quid no one would give a tinker's cuss about his awful haircut or the fact that when he's dribbling he refuses to look up because they would look at all the other bits and they'd be thinking i can't believe we got this kid from roma and he's an absolute steal because he has a lot of potential still it's not you know he's not the fully developed player that he's going to be in a couple of years time there's still a chance for him to adapt and improve but the fact I, is, he came in at a time when we just binned off our, arguably our best player in the last few decades. Well, before Kane developed, but yeah, he had a he was supposed to be filling shoes that he couldn't. I think that 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 Jake explained one part of it potentially. Although you could also say the type of player. If he was a, a central defender, it may not incite the same passions as the position he plays, especially at Spurs. But that doesn't explain why, when he's unreasonably. Um, or even sometimes often reasonably criticised um, by fans, his supporters will not hear it. They, they take it very, very personally. Ex- compared to any other player, they're extremely fanatical in their devotion. I think it's, I think it's a genders. I think he's, he's probably the only player in the first His gender? That, uh, I think it's people's agendas. Oh, right. Okay. Um, if you look at our first 11, he's the only one there that would divide opinion. Um, he, he gets he gets more uh, leeway because he works hard, and I don't think anyone can ever despise or constantly criticise someone that gives everything every time. Um, so I think that's bought him more certainly bought him more time and more patience from from a lot of the fans. But I, th- I think he gets Jake. Would you agree with this that he gets more support on coys than he does in the stands? Because I still oh. think at, at the lane he he's someone that the crowd cut on his back quite quickly. Oh, absolutely, yeah, without a doubt, and I think. Yeah, it's quite interesting to see because there are points where he will do something great and then the groans when he smashes a ball wide or blasts it over. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's quite noticeable. The, the, the frustration has when he when he's on the wing and he's got the ball and he's got so much space in front of him with one player to beat. Uh, it happened against, um, who, do we, who do we play? Uh, against West Brom on Monday night when he was on the left in the, in the first half. And he picks up the ball and instead of just going down the line at the fullback, he just ran inside into like five players. And yep. people are screaming. And I think having had the luxury of seeing Bale and Lennon and people like that over the years, beating players and having that pace and width, I think the, the crowd get frustrated. And the, and the other frustration with him is these stupid fouls where he has this habit of tackling on the wrong side of the player and giving away three or four needless fouls a game. I think, I think it's a different way of looking at how you like players, to be honest. I I will always back someone who goes out there and just it's not it's not just running around and working hard it's it's appreciating their type of mentality even when Lamella's had like a really bad game and he's you know his passing's not coming off and you know he's running into players he keeps showing himself for the ball and it's something that I hate in certain players so I went to go see one of the the games at the Olympics that England, that Great Britain played, and Tom Cleverley was playing in that game, and I instantly took a disliking to him because he was one of those types of players who would pass the ball and then just go hide behind one of the opposition players and just jog along behind him for a bit, and then in a little bit later he'd come and show himself. It's I like the kind of player who is going to go out there, show themselves for the ball, and even if they're having a bad game, they will give their absolute all, and. It, I, th- I agree with I agree with Jake that you know if you compare him to say Chadley, 
Chadley doesn't work that hard defensively. He's had some games where he has this season, but generally he doesn't. But he doesn't get derided as 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 much as a player as Lamella does, mainly because of price tag, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, as Jake alluded to, who he replaced. And uh, Lamella has very good games and he has big impact, but he he doesn't get me excited. He doesn't get me on the edge of my seat. Whenever he's got the ball in possession, running at the defence, I never think anything good is going to happen. Um, he's going to turn into one of the players and lose it. Yeah, basically. That, I expect that more of him. I mean, uh, that may seem a little unfair. Uh, to touch again on the fact about how much he cost, it was also the reputation he came with when he came to us. If you remember, Totti had described him as the heir to the number 10 shirt at Roma. That's, that's, that's huge boots to fill. And the fact that he, we, we we knew all this about him when he turned up and then he was not the best when he arrived, which again touches back on the, the need for players to hit the ground running and hopefully the scouting will work better this time round. Then he had the injury and then he was hung out to dry by Stab, which, uh, Tim Sherwood. So I think there's a lot of factors which would contribute to why he wasn't instantly popular. Mm. And, and four league goals from, from a wide forward is, is simply not enough. No. Okay. A question from um, Lineker90. Which player does the panel think will be our most improved next season and why? Can I say Lamella? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think there's... How much more can we squeeze out of these players at the moment? I think Dyer may improve again because yeah. we've had a full season. I'd love to think if we still got him that Chadley will, ha- will do a Dembele on us and suddenly realise that you do have to apply yourself in every game and it does matter. I don't, I don't, I don't think our back five or Dembele can get much better than how they've been this season because I think they've all been pretty much faultless. Uh, I agree with Jake that Dyer, this is Dyer's first season in the, in the holding role in central midfield. You'd think he can only get better. And then this is Ali's first season at this level. And again, you could think he can only get better as well. So for me, it'll be Dyer and Ali that, that will be the two that will improve. And I think Kane, Kane's Kane, isn't he? I think he, I believe he's a really world class, but if he can take it to another level, we're in for a treat. I think it could be a case of, I think Ali and Son, because Ali, I just, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of his game that can actually improve. Um, but is the the positives we've seen this season, obviously in the final third. But I think his general play is not actually that great. I think he can improve. Well, that uh, goes back to the example at the Palace game. Just before he scored that worldie, which wasn't yeah. an absolute worldie, there was the fact that Scott Dan basically stood on him to get a header which rattled against the crossbar because he didn't compete for the ball. Mm. There's lots more that he could do to improve, definitely. And, and Son, just because I know what he can do. And he's always been hit and miss, but this season he's been really poor. So if we take it as a case of how much they're going to improve compared to this season, Son can, has got to be better next year. How many, how many of our players aren't going to the World Cup? Because you think how, how important pre-season is going to be as well. Uh, the European Championships. Because you think how important pre-season is going to be. And obviously, Sun will be at the training ground, but all the Belgians, all the English guys will, will be away. It'll be yeah, interesting Sun to see what off. Sun's off with the Olympics. As Olympics, OK. Yeah. But a, a good pre-season onto Pochettino, hopefully, will we'll turn, turn Sun well, into... that's exactly, yeah. Clinton, maybe. He'll get a full well, yeah, pre-season. Yeah, so I agreed with you, AC. You, you, you'd uh, took the players out of my mouth, and I can't say that, can I? Um, if I was going to choose uh, Ali and Son as well, and sort of my backup was going to be was going to be Clinton, just to say that um, we could really... It, it would be hugely beneficial to Spurs if he could develop in the way some of the other... Next season, in the, some, in the way some of the players have developed this season. Being able to trap a ball. Just having that pace would be nice again. Yep. I missed having him coming off, coming on. Like that game against Man City at home oh, when he came on. Enough. Brilliant. So, final question, gents. We've reached the end of the mailbag. And this one came from so many people that I, I can't even name them all. Um, Ross has emptied his sack. <laughs> and he's just <laughs> taken the players out of his mouth. <laughs> And that's probably why we're going to have to end the podcast. On Good. I don't, approve, I don't approve this lower tone. So that's what you're here to raise the tone. You're the, uh, yeah, you're the absolutely. plus that. The sensible. Um, so the question is, you know, we need, I think it's five points to be certain of second place, um, no matter what. 
the question for each of you is how many points do you believe we'll get in the last three games? Nine. Uh, Are you speaking German or being optimistic? (laughs) (laughs) Can't see us beating Chelsea. Can see us getting a point off Southampton. Uh, I'm going to go for two. I'll do it. I'll say two. I'll say, I'll, I'll say two as well. But for, before the West Brom game, the Southampton game was the one that really worried me more than Chelsea. Um, I'm, I'm with Jake. I think a point. I think a point against Chelsea, a point against Southampton, and it all depends on what Newcastle need last game. Because if they need to win to stay up, and we haven't really got anything to play for other than finishing second or third, I can see them turning us over. Okay. Well, I'm gripping wood at the moment. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh dear, dear, dear. Um, but I, I, I think we can get the monkey off our back for Chelsea. Um, we always beat Southampton. I'm not sure why you guys are worried about that. We've, we've got a very good record against we have, them. We've not, we've, we've not lost them since they've been promoted, actually, have we? No That's reasons. Um, yeah. Newcastle. I think it'll be all over by then because Sunderland, I think, will stay up. But Sunderland and Newcastle both they should both win the next two games. Sunderland uh, have a game in hand, though. I think. And a better goal difference, yeah. But then Newcastle, I think they've got Palace at home and Villa away, so you'd fancy them to to, to win those. But it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah. Palace aren't going to be risky injuries, are they? So are you nine. saying nine, AC? Yeah. So we've got two twos and a nine. I mean, I'll go for five. I think we'll just exactly get the right number of points to finish second. Yeah, I think I think I, I still think we'll come second though, even with even with two points, because City and Arsenal have to play each other. City have to play Southampton away. Um, so I can see us still coming second, even though my very pessimistic two-point prediction. And just to reiterate, if we could finish in the top four this season, that is a tremendous result. Can we just briefly touch on the fact that if we now that we aren't going to win the league, that it was idiotic of us to throw away Dortmund, or, or is that not worth... We don't really have time, do we? I think it was idiotic not to throw the competition sooner. But you go, I'll yeah. leave it on well, a controversial. If we're, going to get to the point where we're, if we're going to get to the point where we're playing Dortmund and then I know, but, away, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But 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 the four, the four games after we lost to Dortmund, we were brilliant in all of them. I think was it Bournemouth at home, Villa away, Liverpool away, United at home. But it was, it was Villa at home then, Villa away the next week. It, was, it wasn't me and you could have played in centre mid exec and we'd have still won that game. Yeah, probably more convincingly. Yeah, but we have that steel that um you know that that never say diability thing that AC likes as well, so yeah. we justify our thirty million pound price tags. Yeah, but you won't actually be able to close anyone down, so no. a better hit no, no, I'll take that back. No, but to echo Jake's Jake's thoughts, I mean we can all be incredibly proud of the season that we've had. Um Monday night was a disappointment, but for me it was just um putting us out of our misery. I don't think we were ever in a position to, to win the league. It was never in our hands. And we've just got to be very, very proud and very thankful for what we've had this season. Yeah. And on that note, I'd like to thank AC, JKS and Executive. And to all of you for listening in to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.